Amen. I have a question for you this morning. Have you ever been chased? Have you ever been had some somebody or something chasing you? You have. Some of you, if you grew up where I grew up, you very regularly had somebody chasing you. But I don't had too many stories of being chased, but I do have one that I want to share with you this morning. I'll never forget it. Somewhere in between my freshman year of high school and my sophomore year of high school, I was invited slash intimidated into joining the high school football team. So during that time, you know, after one of our practices, you know, some of the guys on the sophomore team with me, we decided, hey, let's stay after, after practice and play some tag football on the practice field behind the school. So that seemed like a good idea. We were having good fun. But I need to also tell you that right next to our school in the rear of it was a housing project. And it was just one building. We called it the PCs. I think it was called the Prairie Courts or the Prairie Commons or something like that. But it was just one building. Let me tell you something. These people were bad news. Everybody from the babies to the elderly (laughs) folks, you didn't mess with them. And let me just give you a little backstory for these guys. This is a stone's throw from the high school. I mean, you can sneak out the back band door and you would literally be there in 60 seconds, 30 seconds if you ran. So that posed a problem for people who went to that school because you didn't mess with the people from the PCs simply because it was a matter of proximity. Their people were at the school just like that. So if somebody got into it with somebody from the PCs, you could almost set your watch to it. We would have a fire drill, the unplanned kind, right, where somebody pulls the fire alarm. So what would happen is these guys would tell their buddies, hey, we pull the fire alarm. So when everybody goes out, their guys just come back in with everybody else. And within minutes... There was a fight. They were taking care of that. So these guys were bad news, okay? So we're out there playing football, and this little girl, she couldn't have been four or five. She came up and just took our our football. She took our football and started to walk back to her building, the PCs. So my buddy Sam, I mean, he's indignant. He goes after this girl. I'm thinking, she's going back to the PCs. Don't, just, just go get a new ball. Okay, so she goes back. So Sam takes this ball. He wrestles this ball from her, and the girl falls down. She comes to us. She says, "You guys better not be here when I get back." And I'm I'm editing this for church. Okay, she didn't. She said something different. She said, "You better not be here when I get back." So we didn't think anything of it. So you ever seen Jurassic Park where the dinosaur is coming and the puddle is the puddle is shaking? But well, that's what was happening. This puddle was shaking. I thought, what is that? And I looked toward the PCs, and there were so many people coming our way. It was absolutely terrifying. And I thought to myself, you know, this is it. <laughs> this is absolutely it. The problem was our stuff was toward them. So, like, we had to run to, to get our stuff, and we all take off. I mean, there are people in strollers, wheelchairs, everything coming in up from this building, fast and furious. So we take off in every direction, absolutely every direction. Now, before this, I hadn't been chased before, okay, unless I was playing, you know, tag or something like that. So this was absolutely terrifying. So people spread out in every direction running. So we're running toward sort of 31st Street because there's a restaurant there called Shores, and there was always a squad car outside that. So I thought, man, if I could just make it to Shores, my life will be saved today. So this kid, a freshman kid named L.C., he had the same idea. And this guy's a running back. I'm husky, man. I'm a lineman, right? And I'm keeping up with him because I'm afraid for my life. <laughs> so L.C. and I are running towards shores, and we, I see in my peripheral vision a guy on a bike. 
The guy is chasing us on a bike. It's like something out of a movie. But LC just happened to just be a step slower than me. And this guy literally hops off of his moving bike and tackles this kid. Now, I should say that LC and I, we weren't that tight. <laughs> he was a freshman. I was a sophomore. I just started playing. And had I known him a week more, I might have stopped. But such was not the case on this summer day. Long story short, I made it to Shores, but it's a terrifying experience. It's comical now because I made it out. But I was chased, man. I was terrified. And some of you have similar stories, perhaps more numerous stories about being chased, and you just know what it's like to be chased. And some of you have heard, and some of you have read, and some of you have heard sermons and things about God chasing after us. You've heard that God is pursuing us. And to some of us, that paints a disturbing picture that paints a, a menacing picture of this powerful God sort of chasing after us and pursuing us. But I'd like to put, frame that this morning, put that into some context, and I would like to use this morning to frame that Psalm 23, perhaps one of the most famous passages, most quoted passages in all of Scripture. It's the 23rd Psalms. And in the 23rd Psalm, the, the psalmist David paints the Lord as a shepherd. And the scripture calls God a good shepherd. I mean, a shepherd who looks after us, his sheep. Now, if you know anything about sheep, you know that they're not too bright. And that's me putting it nicely. They're not that smart, prone to wander off, prone to do the opposite of what's best for them. And the Lord is characterized as our shepherd. And oftentimes the scripture talks about the Lord leaving the flock to go and chase the one that, that, that goes off, right? And I, one of my favorite lines and Psalm 23 is the first part of verse 6, and this really speaks to me, especially this week. It says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's the new King James Version. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life. So on the one hand, we got this picture of this powerful, perhaps even angry God pursuing us and chasing us. And that, you know, that produces fear in our hearts. And then we read something like this, and we see, surely goodness and mercy chases us. So we get this idea that God is this sort of flowery sort of guy that's sort of skipping after us. I'd like to land someplace in the middle. They say God loves us so much that his goodness and his mercy will pursue us. That's literally what that word follow means. It doesn't mean to sort of hover and to gently follow. It means to chase you down, to follow you, to pursue you all the days of your life. So God loves you so much that his goodness and his mercy is chasing you down. Even when you go your own way, even when you go astray, God's goodness and his mercy is chasing you down. Even when he has to chastise you, even when he's getting on your behind, he is, it's his goodness, that's his mercy, and that's chasing you down. God's goodness and his mercy doesn't always feel good, does it? Doesn't always feel merciful. And that's sometimes where we struggle. I have the privilege this morning of beginning a brand new series that we're simply calling Jonah. And this is a four-week sermon series, a four-week journey through the book of Jonah. Now, some of us have a common misconception, especially because we're so familiar with this story, at least we think we are, that we just think the story of Jonah is about a dude and a fish. Now, if you described it that way, I guess it would be somewhat accurate. However, it would be incomplete because there's so much more to the story of Jonah as hopefully we'll explore and pull out 
uh, this uh, next couple of weeks. But I look at the book of Jonah and I see it as one of the most life-changing books personally for me, particularly as a young pastor, particularly as a husband, particularly as a father, particularly as somebody who's trying really hard to respond quickly to what God tells me to do. To respond quickly to God's voice, I have found that the book of Jonah has been one of the most life-changing books uh, that I've ever encountered in all of Scripture. And that says a lot, because I really like the Bible. I really enjoy it. And a couple years ago, as I was a very young pastor pastoring this church, I took this church through a series through the book of Jonah. And I've never had so much life uh, altering change happened in my own heart as a result of this material. I thought I was going to study this and just wow our church with this, and people would just be transformed and changed. And I'm sure that's happened. But the work that God wanted to do was the work in me. I had to come clean about some things. I had to rearrange some things. I had to deal with my own stuff, and I've never been freer in all of my life. We're talking about the book of Jonah. It's important for us to understand that the mega theme for the book of Jonah is nothing other than the mercy of God. I'll say that again. The mega theme as we walk through this book and hopefully as you read this in your own uh, prayer and devotional time is that we understand that the mega theme of this book is nothing other than the mercy of God. And mercy is simply defined as compassion or forgiveness shown to someone whom it's in one's power to punish or harm. In other words, you have the power, you have the authority, you have the means and the motive to punish or harm someone, and yet you let them pass, and let, yet you pardon them. I was familiar with mercy growing up. My father would often, I didn't want to deal with my father when it came to discipline. And every now and then, he'd call me into his room, and you know that call when you get that call. In the room. I was never surprised, by the way, when I was in trouble. I always knew it was coming. But every now and then, my father would have a talk to me, the similar talk that would usually end in some type of corporal punishment. But he says, I'm going to let you slide this time. And no beautiful words have, have ever been spoken, even to this day. He would say, I'm going to let you slide this time. And basically he means, you know, you know what you have coming. But you're not going to get that this time. I'm going to show mercy. I'm going to pardon you. And this is the same, only grander. The mercy of God is a pardon. It's mercy that we don't deserve. And I like a good friend of mine says that mercy is the oil of the kingdom of God. Don't let that sink in. Mercy is the oil of the kingdom of God. And if you want to know how essential mercy is to the kingdom of God, try to go without oil in your vehicle for any length of time. The thing won't go. It'll break down. There'll be all sorts of problems. Such is the same for mercy as it relates to the kingdom of God. So the mega theme of Jonah is the uh, mercy, the mercy of God. And we just want to go through this series today and pull some things out. And hopefully it will be life-changing for you. I've simply called this message, as we look at chapter 1 of Jonah this morning, you can run, but you can't hide. You can run, but you can't hide. We're going to be looking at Jonah chapter 1. We're going to be journeying through that this morning. And I'm just going to pull some things out as we travel through that. If you got your phone and you're using your phone as your Bible today, why don't you text somebody or tweet them or Facebook and tell them, get down to the South Suburban Vineyard. Tell them if they leave right now, they'll be in just in time for our 11 o'clock service, okay? We don't have 11 o'clock service. Don't tell them. Tell them, get here for the 11 o'clock service. But if you don't have a Bible to follow along with us, there's Bibles on the edges of our rows. We'll also be projecting it on the screens in, here, uh, in front of us. Let me pray before I begin this morning. Lord, thank you so much for the folks that have gathered here, Lord, to worship you. 
And Lord, to participate in what you're doing in this church, in this season. Lord, I know you have a word to speak uh, to us this morning. And I just pray, Lord, that lives will be changed as a result of not just hearing, but responding in obedience and faith to the things that you have spoken to us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would put power on these words that you've given me to speak, that you would move the preacher out of the, the way this morning, Lord, so that your truth and that your light and that your message might shine through. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Jonah chapter 1, let me know when you have it. All right, some of you have it. We'll start at verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their God for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all of this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it, they groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to stop this storm? Verse 12, throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the uh, the Lord, Jonas God, O Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. O Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by God's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Very interesting story that we read in the book of Jonah. And let me just say off the bat here that many people sort of argue about if this is a little literal story or if it's figurative, if it actually happened. Let me just tell you something. This is an actual story. Unless the Bible tells you otherwise, we can assume that it's an actual story that actually happened. And many people wrestle with the sensational nature of this story. But let me just let me just put this out there for you. If the God that you believe in can speak to absolutely nothing and create everything that we see, including yourself, I think he can manipulate the seas. I think he can talk to a fish that he created and get it to do his bidding. Okay? So this is a story that actually happened. This is a true story that we can glean a whole lot from. And the main character of this story, other than God himself, is Jonah. And Jonah has an interesting job. He's a prophet. He worked for God. This is what he did. 
And Job's job was simply not easy. It wasn't easy, but it's a rather simple job. It wasn't very complicated. And this is what Jonah's job was. Listen to the Lord and say what he tells you to say to whomever he said. And this is what a prophet did. They spoke for God. They didn't dress it up. They didn't church it up. They said what God told them to say to who God told them to say it to. And this is this guy that we meet here. This is Jonah, prophet. He's not a rookie. He's not a new convert. He's a seasoned professional. He speaks for God. This is Jonah. So this morning, I just want to jog through this story. There's plenty in here to pull out. I won't pull it all out, but I just want to jog through this story. And I just want to pull out some things that I think will be impactful and hopefully life-changing for us today as we consider the fact that we can run from God, but we certainly cannot hide. And this story opens, verse 1 and verse 2 of this, opens with Jonah's orders. In other words, God had given him assignment. God knocked on Jonah's door and said, listen, son, I got some work for you to do. We've done this before. Get up. I got some work for you to do. Verse 1, the Lord gave this message to Jonah. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked the people are. Now, understand something. If you were living in the ancient Near East, you would understand that Nineveh was one of the worst and most notorious cities in all of the ancient Near East. These were pagans. These were ruthless, powerful, violent people. They were merciless. They were true-blooded warriors, and they were absolutely merciless uh, to their enemies and merciless to the people that opposed them and merciless to the people who had what they wanted. These guys were absolutely unrighteous. They were pagan. They were, they were bad news, kind of like the people that lived in the PCs. They were bad news. <laughs> bad news. And as my buddy Jeff Heitkamp says, he pastors a church in Minneapolis, he says, to go out and preach to Nineveh, preach against it, was not controversial in those days. In fact, he says it would be as controversial as speaking against terrorism after 9-11, just to sort of frame it for you. Everybody knew that these guys were bad news, and no one would be surprised at all if God had announced his judgment against it. In other words, anyone who was even remotely aware of what was going on would understand that these were bad dudes and that God actually deserved to come against the wicked city of Nineveh. So God sends Jonah to give this obvious message to these wicked and lawless people. And as I walk through this story, I always want to be drawing a connection to how this relates to us. And if you're asking, well, what does this have to do with us? What does Jonah's orders have to do with us? Listen, we have to understand something that we've all been giving something by God to do. You may not be a prophet. You may not be called to speak on behalf of God or go to the nations, but we all have an assignment. We've all been given something to do. No matter where you are in life, no matter what you have to deal with, no matter how mature your faith is no matter whether you're single or married, whatever the defining characteristics of your life may be, we all have this one thing in common, is that God is calling us to do something. God is calling us to do something. And last week I said to you very plainly, there's only one thing you got to be really good at to be a good Christian. And that is being obedient to whatever God says. You don't have to remember a whole lot. You got to do what he says. You don't have to be some Bible thumper who's got the whole Bible memorized. You don't have to look the part and dress the part. All you have to do is stop when God says stop, go when he says go, speak when he says speak, and shut up when he says shut up. Not necessarily in that order. But you've got to be really good 
at listening to God and obeying him and doing that something that God has given and created you to do. And Jonah's something was to speak for God, specifically in this instance, to a wicked city of Nineveh. That was Jonah's assignment. That was his assignment. So as Jonah gets his assignment, I think it's equally important, as we understand his assignment, to look at Jonah's response. And I think Jonah had a different plan. He wanted to do something else. And the scripture tells us what that something else was. Verse 3, but Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Now, you would think that Jonah's maybe a new Christian, right? That he hasn't done this perhaps dozens, if not more, times before. He spoke on behalf of God, seen God destroy entire cities, known the fury and the goodness and the depth and breadth of God's power and his reach. You would think Jonah would be new at this, and this seems like a rookie move to make. But yet Jonah decides to go in the opposite direction. And for simplicity's sake, Jonah was supposed to travel west to Nineveh. Instead, he hops a boat and tries to go far east as he possibly can get. He's intentionally running in the opposite direction from the Lord. And if you're like me, you're wondering, what is this guy's deal? What is Jonah's problem? Well, as you read the story, you'll find that he has a lot of problems. (laughs) He has plenty of issues. And before you point your finger at him, you need only look in the mirror. We've all got issues, but we're talking about Jonah today. What is Jonah's problem? Why well, want to identify two problems that Jonah has to help us understand the story and help us understand ourselves better. And Jonah's first problem is that he knew God. That's his first problem. So how is that a problem? Well, Jonah knew God. You know, even though Jonah knew that God was a powerful, awesome God who didn't mess around, Jonah knew that God was merciful. He knew that God in all of his glory and all of his splendor and all of his power and might at the very core of God is a God who desperately wants to reconcile people back to himself. It's not God's main goal to destroy people and to throw them off the edge of the earth and to punish them. God wants to draw people unto himself. And Jonah knew that there was a good chance that if these people turned their hearts toward the Lord, that the Lord's message of destruction toward them would not necessarily be carried out. So Jonah's problem is that he knew God. He knew God, and perhaps before he went on a mission where he, he, he gave this word of gloom and doom, the people turned their hearts to the Lord, and the Lord forgave him. Perhaps Jonah is concerned about his accuracy sort of percentage as a prophet, and he's worried that, you know, if he goes and says all this stuff, that it might not happen again. Perhaps he's concerned about that. Either way, it's clear to us that Jonah wants nothing to do with the salvation and mercy being shown to the wicked Ninevites. So Jonah has a conflict of interest. I tell you, it's a terrible thing to work for God and to not want to see him be merciful. It's a huge indication of something that has corroded and something that's become corrupt on the inside of you when you work for God, who's shown you mercy, who's given you grace, who's giving you time and time again to get it right, it's a terrible thing for you not to want to see that mercy showered lavishly on someone else. Jonah needs a new job. 
Perhaps he could go and be a trash collector or something else. He, he need not work for the Lord with this disposition. Now, one of Joseph's main problem is that he knew God all too well, and he wanted nothing to do with mercy being shown to these wicked people. Jonah's second problem, as I'll identify this morning, is that he forgot that he was the mailman. He forgot that he was the mailman. And as the mailman, your job isn't to rifle through the mail. Your job isn't to sort it. Your job is to deliver the stinking mail. Growing up, we had, uh, my, my sisters and I are, oh, you know, one year apart, my immediate sisters and because of this, around the age where we're entering, you know, around that high school age, there was a constant flood for years and years of college recruitment letters that came to the house. I mean, just the floods of them from, from every place. And we had this male lady that we really liked. She was really cool. You know, she wore a Walkman. She just sort of bopped down the street as she would deliver the mail. And, so, and along the time where we would get these college letters, we would notice these little notes on them, you know. She would write, no, this college isn't accredited, you know, this, that, and the other. And I thought, well, that's really thoughtful of her. But my sister, she didn't care for that at all. She said, you don't write on the mail. You're the mail lady. You deliver the mail. You don't write on the mail. And sometimes we get it messed up, and Jonas gets this messed up. It's like, listen, dude, you're the, you're the postman. Bring the mail to my house. Mailman isn't doing you a favor by hiding the bills from you. Well, they don't need to see these. You're going to be in trouble. You're going to be in trouble in the dark. Right? Because your lights are going to get shut off. Listen, his job is to deliver the mail. To deliver the mail. And somehow he mixed it up. He didn't like the mail that God sent him to deliver to the Ninevites. And he decided that he wasn't going to deliver that package. Well, guess what? God had a problem with that. And some preachers you see on TV and some you go to any number of churches. And some of us have misunderstood what our job is. It isn't to tell you what you want to hear. It isn't to pick and choose what we share with you. It's to say what God told us to say. And listen, I take this very seriously, what I do. And it's because of that. I don't care how some those looks you give me as I'm up here. I see your looks. You know, God made me husky for a reason. I haven't been scared of somebody since high school. All right? And if it gets real bad, I'll just get Tommy or somebody to walk me to my car afterwards. No, but I take this very seriously. God tells me to tell you something, I'm going to tell you. Why? Because I'm the mailman. I deliver God's mail. And if he tells me to tell you you're in trouble, I'm going to tell you. If he tells me to tell you that you're traveling wrong and you need to make a use, I'm going to tell you. If he tells me to tell you that you're being a jerk and you need to treat your wife better, listen, buddy, you better believe it. I'm going to tell you. I'm too scared of God. He's the man, in case you didn't know. I love you too much to not bring you the mail that God told me to bring you. But this is where Jonah, this is where Jonah misses it. He forgets that he's the mailman. He forgets that he's the mailman. He gets it complicated. He gets it mixed up. He forgets who he was, and he forgets who God is, and he decides he's not going to deliver this package where I think God has something to say about that. And as we jog through the story, next we see God's response to Jonah's response. Verse 4, but the Lord hurled a powerful wind. Now remember, Jonah's boarded a boat. He's trying to go away from where the Lord told him to go. He's boarded a boat. 
He's gone down to Joppa. He's gone down to the sort of bottom of this boat. I mean, he keeps going down. I think that something is in there, you know. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the seas, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. Now, this, this opening part of this says, but the Lord hurled a powerful wind. I, I'm so glad that this is saying, well, the Lord allowed Satan. You know, or he allowed a storm to happen, or he allowed the wind and water gods to cook something up. It says the Lord caused this. Let's not get this mixed up today, okay? Many of the storms that we've experienced, and some of us that we're presently in right now, you know, have a sneaking suspicion that the Lord has stirred the waters, the storms in your life. God caused this storm. Because nothing will get your attention like a good storm. I got a few amens there. Somebody must be in the middle of something this morning. Nothing will get your attention like a good storm. When the Lord stirs up a storm in your finances because you're a poor steward, or you decided that you weren't going to give God what's his, or the Lord has stirred up the storms of your health, and your body begins to ache and your body begins to fall sick or ill or the Lord stirs up a storm in your relationships or the Lord frustrates your career ambitions and that the plans that you've made because you've decided that you would go at it alone. Oftentimes a good storm is the only thing that will get your attention. Been in church your whole life. You hear a sermon every week. You listen to podcasts all week, you're in your devotion, and you're still doing your own thing. The Lord says, listen, I need to get this joker's attention. I need to stir up the waters in his life. And this is God's response to our issues. And I know for a fact, because I know some of your situations, you are absolutely puzzled as to why life isn't working for you. You can't, you can't figure out for the life of you, well, you always have more month than money. And why you won't get a moment's rest and a moment's peace. And while your family's all jacked up, your relationship with your wife and your spouse is all jacked up, maybe you're in a storm, a God-induced storm to get your attention because you think that you can twist God's arm and that he'll say, uncle, before you say it. Listen, that's not true at all. Love by my little son, he, he likes to wrestle with me. He's a rambunctious little one, both of them, actually. And Joseph's trying to twist my arm, trying to get me to tap out or whatever. It's just, it's comical. And I just throw him across the room, and he just keeps coming back for more, trying to do it again. As comical as that is, and as silly as that is, how silly do we look trying to give God the silent treatment, like he's going to cave. Okay, come, I'll give you that. Oh, I'll talk to you again. Doesn't work that way. And some of you are in the midst of the storms that God has churned up in your life. You can't get a moment's rest. You can't get peace. You can't find joy and contentment. None of your relationships are working. Listen, why don't you try it this way? Why, why don't you? Maybe you've tried. You've exhausted what you're doing. Listen, I've been watching you. You've worked that thing for a while. Okay? It's time to shut that puppy down. It's time to shut it down. It's time to shut it down. But God's response is a good old-fashioned storm to get my brother's attention. But as God stirs this storm, another one of Jonah's issues emerges. 
It's no different from some of our lives when we're in the storms of life, when our heart has sort of been reduced to this place where we just don't care anymore. We see this problem, this problem of indifference emerges in Jonah's heart. So this storm is going crazy, and Jonah's boarded this boat. He's got all these guys in trouble now. They're on the edge of their life, and where is Jonah? Where is he at? A man is in the bottom of the ship. He's sleeping. I mean, this storm is like rocking him to sleep. He's he's sleeping. He's taking it easy. And finally, the captain goes, man, this dude that we let on the boat, let me go talk to him. He says, how can you sleep at a time like this? Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Understand something that, you know, we think we live in a polytheistic society right now, which means just multiple, multi-gods. This is truly a polytheistic society where people would worship anything, much like us, right? So he said, listen, man, pray to your God. We prayed to ours, dude. Nothing's working. Pray to your God and see if you can get a prayer through. Where's Jonah? He's sleeping. He's indifferent. He's indifferent. And let me tell you a sure sign that you've gotten it real bad, that you're in a real bad place, is indifference. As a pastor and as a leader, one of the main things I'm going to look out for is indifference. I, don't, I wouldn't follow you to get a snow cone if you're indifferent. Much less follow you to any place in ministry. I wouldn't follow you anywhere. Indifferent, I don't, want, I don't want you leading anything. All I want you doing is receiving. All I want you doing is getting filled up. All I want you to do is get your heart realigned and recalibrated with God. Indifference, listen, that's a dangerous thing when you don't care anymore. And you beware of people in your life that have stopped caring. My father would always tell us, man, don't mess with somebody who doesn't care. Don't get in a car with somebody who doesn't care. Somebody who doesn't have any goals, any aspirations. They're thinking about just the moment. They've lost hope. You, you, listen, I want 10 to 15 feet between me and you at all times. There's no telling what you will do. No telling what you will say. No telling what problems you'll bring to bear on yourself and those around you. There's no telling. Indifferent. Again, this isn't some rookie. This is a veteran prophet. He's spoken for the Lord before. He's seen God's wrath, and he still, he doesn't care. He's in a bad spot. And some of you are there right now, and it's dangerous. You don't care. Come and go as you want. Things crashing down all around you. All sorts of dysfunction. People trying to reach you. People trying to talk to you. People trying to talk you off the cliff, and you just just don't care. It's, it's It's a sad state. It's a sad state when you don't care, when you don't care, when you don't care. You say, Jonah, man, get up, man, there's a storm, we're going to die. They're throwing their stuff into the water. They said, listen, something's got to give, we've got to figure out who's causing this. And they cast lot, which is a way of just kind of drawing straws, and they believed that it was a the way of divining, sort of figuring out. Who is at fault or who should, you know, go, whose turn it is. So they cast these lots and Jonah draws the short or the long straw, whichever one, and they figure out that it's him. They said, man, who are you? Who are you, bro, that God would do this? Who are you? What's your line of work? What do you do for a living? What's your nationality? They want to know. It's gotten real bad. 
Now, let me just say before we proceed, chapter 1 doesn't really paint Jonah in the best light. Listen, don't judge Jonah solely on chapter 1. If you do, you won't like him very much. All right? Let's understand, we need to understand that Jonah wasn't, wasn't a bad guy. He just happened to be thoroughly human, which is our problem as well. Thoroughly human, much like us. But if there's a shining moment in this dull chapter as it relates to Jonah's goodness or his decency, I think it comes as we travel to and through verse 9. And at verse 9, we see somewhat of a turning point, somewhat of a turning point. They ask Jonah, hey, what's the deal? Who are you? Why is this stuff upon us? And Jonah says this, verse 9, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Verse 10 says, the sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it, they groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, he asked them, what should I do to stop the storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. So we see an interesting turning point. These guys want some answers. They say, what, what's going on here, man? Who are you? Who do you work for? What do you do? And Jonah says, listen, I'm a Hebrew. And actually, I work for the living God. I speak for him, actually. And this storm, Jonah says, is all my fault. They say, what's the shining moment? The shining moment is that Jonah says something that is necessary for those of us who are running from God, those of us who are in a terrible storm that's affected the people around us. Jonah says, listen, I'm the problem. I'm the problem. One of the telltale signs that somebody is really willing to deal with their stuff and work on their junk and get their life together and come into a place of wholeness and healing and not just waste my time is when they can say in one way or the other that I'm the problem. I made a mess of this. I made a mess of this. And there's a great picture that is painted in this passage. Jonah's on this boat. And just his being there has put this, all of these people in danger. They're at the edge of their life. And what a true picture that is painted of many of our situations right now. You're on the boat of your life. And you're causing hell for everybody around you just because you're there. Just because you won't do what you're supposed to do. Just because you won't be the man or be the woman that God has called you to be. And many of you are on boats that people can't throw you off of. Your family can't throw you off the boat. Your kids can't throw you off the boat. Your wife, I suppose she could throw you off the boat, but she probably shouldn't so they're stuck with you in your ignorance they're stuck with you in your indifference they're stuck with you and the kids can do nothing but cope with it because you've decided that this is how you're going to be you decided that reason and God's word and what you know to be true is not good enough for you. You've decided that you want your slice or your idea of the good life. So the people on the boat with you are on the edge of death because you've decided that you want to be you. And you want to do you. And it makes me sick. It makes me sick. Because your kids can't go to the tavern and drink it off. They can't go to the counselor 
and talk it away. They just got to deal with you. Your wife, if she's a godly woman, your husband, if, she's a, if he's a godly man, they will stick it out with you because God says to do that. But it's not fair. It's not right. It's not right. And until you say, I'm the problem, the storm is my fault, let me deal with myself, let me deal with my stuff, you will continue to deal with God's wrath and you will put your family, your friends, and everybody that's connected to you in the eye of the storm simply because you don't care right now. You said, man, this dude is worked up. I am. It makes me mad. And it's the people with the biggest families, with the most responsibility, with the most influence, that just drag the families through the mud year after year. It's enough. We know better. I'm not talking to, you know, sinners. I'm not talking to worldly people. I'm talking, listen, sinners sin. I don't have high expectations for sinners. That's what they do. I don't have high expectations for ungodly people. That's who they are. I don't expect godliness from the ungodly. I do expect it for those of us who've been enlightened. Those of us who know that God is alive. Those of us who know God's plan and his will for our lives. I do expect it from those of us who are believers. I do expect it. I should expect it. And I don't want this to be too heavy today, but I want it to be appropriately cutting. I want these words to cut you to the quick because it's time for something new. It's time for something different. It's time to move into a new season of your life. The people around you deserve some relief. And I'm not just saying that you're the problem. You're the only problem. You're one of them. And each and every individual, each and every adult, each and every person of age will stand before the Lord and give an account, not for just how they lived, but how they stewarded their influence in the lives of the people around them. So Jonah will take what we can get because there's not much in here for him. But his shining moment when he stands up and says, listen, I'm the problem. I'm running from God. That's a rookie move. I should have known better. I'm running from God. I'm the problem. I'm the problem. And how many of you today would say, I'm, I'm the problem? In some way or the other, I'm the problem. I haven't been the, 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 the spiritual leader of my home. I haven't made a good example. I haven't stepped forward. I haven't done minimally what I know to do. You'd say, I'm the problem. Can't get ahead in life. Stuck in life. And I, no, I'm, I'm the problem. I'm not blaming anybody else anymore. I'm not pointing the finger anymore. I'm not saying, well, if my boss would just do this, and if I could just make a little bit more money, or if my wife would just get off my case, or if my husband would just step up, you're saying today, I'm the problem. I made that mess. I made this bed that I'm sleeping in. I'm the problem. I'm the problem. He steps forward. He owns his mess. And, you know, miraculously, these sailors, who you think they just toss him off, but they won't even toss him off just yet. They said, well, let's just work a little harder at this. Let's roll this thing a little more. They're showing more mercy to him than he was willing to show to, to the Ninevites. But finally, they say, man, this isn't letting up. We're on the edge of death. They pick him up and they throw him into the raging sea. And the scripture says immediately the storm stops. Why? Because the problem was dealt with. 
And I just want to show, show you that in the midst of what I'm talking about, there is a ray of light. There's a ray of hope. And the enemy would just say, listen, all you have to do to beat God's system is just work it a little more. You haven't tried that angle yet. I mean, you haven't tried the back door yet. Keep trying that. And year after year, you're trying to do this thing by yourself. And, and all you have to do, I've seen it over and over and over. I've seen it many times in my own life. All I have to do is stop being, you know, me. And the storm stops. And the storm stops. And the storm stops. Only problem is Jonah's in the water now. Jonah's in the water now. And this chapter wraps up. It starts with God's mercy, and it ends with God's mercy. I told you the mega theme is God's mercy. It, it begins with God's mercy. Hey, go and give this message of gloom and doom to the Ninevites. Mixed in there is a message that says, hey, if you repent, I'll, I'll, I'll accept you. If you repent, I'll spare you. And it ends, Jonah is in, in sea. I mean, it's, it's, it's over for this guy. And what does the scripture tell us? Verse 16, I'm sorry, verse 17. We see the great fish come along. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. I tell you, growing up and much of my adult life, I've always seen this fish as a symbol of punishment. Almost, always, almost my entire Christian life, I've seen this fish as, as a symbol of punishment. And God's wrath. And I think there's some of that in there, especially when we look at the implications, which Jesus reaches back to this Old Testament story of Jonah and likens his stay three days in, in the tomb to three days with Jonah in the well. There is some punitive sort of implications to this, but mostly, mostly, this is another story of God's mercy. Who's in the middle of the ocean? Who's going to swim out of that? Who's going to make it out of that? And God provides something that he created to come and swallow up another created thing that needs uh, to be in timeout for a couple of days. <laughs> so listen, buddy, you, you need to cool it. You need to be sequestered. You need to get somewhere and, and deal with me. A symbol of God's mercy, though we've missed it, though we've walked away and we knew better, Though we put people around us that, that, that we put the people around us in, in peril. We were indifferent to God's plan, to what God has said. We were indifferent to the effect of our rebellion on others. Even though we are thrown into the ocean, when we surrender, we say, Lord, I'm the problem. Guess what? God's merciful. He's merciful. He's doing, to Jonah, doing for Jonah what he would gladly do, what he will gladly do for the Ninevites. He's showing his mercy. And it shows us that it doesn't matter who you are. I don't care if you were born in the church, like literally born in the church. Listen, we all need God's mercy. We need it daily. And we see a picture of God's mercy as it comes along and rescues Jonah from certain death. We're talking about God's mercy. We're talking about God's mercy. Now, some of you, you see yourself in this story at some point or other, maybe not to the same degree, but you see that you're running from God. You see that you've decided to do something other than what God has told you to do. You hear God telling you to go deeper. Maybe he's telling you to get rid of that dead-end relationship you're in and get rid of that dead-end boyfriend that doesn't love the Lord, is just going to waste your time. Maybe he's telling you that. 
Maybe he's telling you to be more honest in your business dealings. Maybe he's telling you to be more generous with your money and to be a better steward of your resources and to give generously like you know you're supposed to do. Maybe he's telling you to stop a besetting sin that you're growing more and more attached to it. Maybe he's telling you to start a small group. Maybe he's telling you to get into leadership. Any number of things. We're all called to do something. And in our own way, many of us, if not all of us, are, are running from God in the opposite direction. And let me just tell you this morning, worship team, you can come up. You won't win this battle. You won't. You absolutely won't. But no matter how far you've strayed away, no matter how deep you've gotten, no matter how far you've sailed away in the opposite direction, the Lord is merciful. And if you would only just say, listen, I'm the problem. I'm, the, I'm making this mess. I'm, I'm trying to go at this alone. The Lord will come along and he will absolutely overtake you with his goodness and mercy. Friends, you can run, but you can't hide. You can run, but you can't hide. God loves you so much. And my prayer for you is that as we worship this morning, as we just lay our hearts bare, as we literally just become just naked before the Father, you would say, Lord, search me. If you would find anything in me that is running against what you've said, if you find any measure of indifference or apathy, stubbornness, selfish ambition, Lord, would you just ruthlessly, ruthlessly dig that out of my heart? I've sinned against you. I've been selfish. I've been indifferent. But God, I know that you're merciful. Would this be the condition of your heart as we worship this morning? And God, in his infinite mercy and grace, I'll take you back no matter where, no matter where you are today. Let me pray. Lord God, I thank you for this word. And for many of us, it was very difficult to hear. It was an unflattering mirror, Lord, that you put before us today. But Lord, we know that you do that because you love us. And Lord, your scripture says that you chasten those that you love. You go after those that you love. That your goodness and mercy, and sometimes it doesn't feel like that, will pursue us all the days of our lives, forever and ever. So, Lord, we just pray that your mercy would overtake us this morning. That those of us who are, have gone out of the lawn, Lord, that you would just overtake us, Lord, and that we would just surrender. That we just surrender this morning to all that you have for us, for all you want us to do, that we would surrender. God, we're reminded this morning that you are a good God. You are a good God, and you chase us down because you love us so much. And may those words just wash over our hearts as we worship you this morning. We ask all of these things in Jesus' mighty name. And God's people said...